you have a Bible, please open up to John chapter 10 as we're going to look at Jesus as our good shepherd. We're going to look at John chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 this morning as we continue on in our study through the gospel of John. Um, we're just taking the next verses up in sequence as we go and unpack this gospel account. And remember, as you're turning there, the way the Bible works, the Old Testament says someone's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts that we're in this morning, say someone's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. And who is that someone? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so this morning, we're looking at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been in a crowded place before and been able to distinguish a familiar voice or uh, out of all the noise? <clears throat> You've been able to kind of pick out in the midst of like a football game or whatever it might be, a crowded party. You're able to hear a particular voice, a familiar voice that you've heard. Maybe a parent or a spouse or a friend or a coach. It was like me when I played soccer in high school. As I've mentioned, I did not play soccer all that well, but I was good at getting in the way. But I remember when I was on the other side of the field, my coach, who never he really never yelled. He wasn't a yelling type of coach. But I could pick up his voice in the midst of a crowded game with, cheer, with cheering fans and all this. They weren't cheering me, but in the midst of it, of it, I played defense. I basically just got in the way. That was my job. But if he offered a direction, I could pick his voice out immediately in the midst of that stadium. Maybe uh, you can hear your own kids' voices when you're maybe at the beach or away on vacation or if you're at a football game. I can always pick out my wife's laugh at a party. Uh, it's, I don't know if any of y'all followed along with the breeds and Anna being a, well, she was able to climb and they did some live streaming. I could always pick up the breeds voice. I could hear them out of all the, the screams and yells. I could always hear, go Anna. And I was like, oh, that's Christy. Or I could hear Cal because I knew their voice. Maybe you've had a similar experience like this before where you're able to pick up on a particular voice out of kind of a sea of noise. And what this shows us is that we're built to distinguish between familiar and unfamiliar voices. Psychologists have kind of comically referred to this as the cocktail party, uh, the cocktail party effect. It's the same reason why you can hear if someone mentions your name in a crowded party. You ever been before and you hear somebody mention your name and you're able to, oh, they must be talking about me? That's called the cocktail party effect. Psalm 19, as we're talking about how we're all built to do this, Psalm 19 tells us that the very heavens declare the glory of God. And as such, we even see this built into the animal kingdom, which is pretty amazing. Uh, I saw uh, a while ago, you might see these like nature documentaries that you see from time to time. I saw one that was on uh, emperor penguins that all return to this particular island each and every year. And the amazing thing about this is on an island with what appears to be covered by tens of thousands and even more identical bow-tied emperor penguins. They all look exactly the same. They're all joining in this like deafening cacophony of noise that in the midst of all this, one penguin returning from days or weeks at sea fishing and fattening up can find its mate acoustically and return to the exact spot to tag out with their mate and incubate the eggs. So you think this emperor penguin has been off and away and fishing and they're basically trying to find their mate and then tag out so that the other one who's been dutifully incubating the eggs can also go out. And in a sea of tens of thousands, if you've ever seen a picture of this, you're like, how in the world do they ever find each other? They do it by hearing 
It's amazing when you think about that. And in a video posted to YouTube almost 10 years ago, the scene opens with a man in a wool sport coat standing with a backpack on an empty hillside, presumably in the United Kingdom, probably somewhere in Scotland, covered in a thick, dense fog, which seems to be kind of the case of basically every day in the UK. But you see this guy coming, and he goes out onto this hillside. It's green and lush, but I mean like pea soup thick fog. And what he does is he stands and he lifts his hands up and he, in a kind of a sing-songy manner, he says, Hear ya, hear ya, hear ya, hear ya, come ya, come ya, come ya, come ya. Hear ya, hear ya, hear ya, hear ya, come ya, come ya, come ya, come ya. And he says that over and over again in kind of that sing-songy way. And, but it's amazing when you watch this video, at the end of the very first call, you hear sheep off in the far distance start to bleat. And after a few more times through, you start seeing all these sheep start running down the hill out of that thick fog. And within 90 seconds of him starting, over 15 sheep surround him, but he knows that there's more because he counts them up and he knows how many is in his little flock. And so he continues to call out. And 30 seconds later, you see the stragglers kind of starting to arrive and they come down the hill. And once his flock is assembled and he knows that he has all of them, he takes his backpack off because it has a bag of feed in it. And he spreads the feed out, and he feeds his little flock. And it's an amazing video to watch, and I've, I've posted it to the, to the church's Facebook page if you want to watch it. It's an amazing video to watch because you physically see the power of the shepherd's voice on his flock. They immediately recognize him, and they come running. They pick his voice out, and they, and they come running towards him. It's amazing to watch. And as we prepare to hear this very text this morning out of John 10, I want us to think about the busy world around us. Think about all the voices and distractions that are all competing for your attention. In many ways, it's like a big, thick, dense fog that is easily to get lost in and be distracted by. And the big question this morning is, can you hear the voice of Jesus cut through that fog? Why is it so important for us to be able to hear the voice of Jesus cut through that fog? Let's find out this morning as we look at John 10 with that in our mind. Let's look at verse 1. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out, in and out, and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word this morning. Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before your word with great humility, realizing and recognizing we do need to hear another voice. It's so easy to become distracted and confused. So Lord, please, with these words, by the power of your Holy Spirit, please re-describe reality to us. Help us to hear your voice and hear your words this morning as you call out to us. And we are grateful, Lord, for your work as our Good Shepherd. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this text this morning and we think about where we've gone thus far, as we've talked about before, there's seven I am statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus describes his ministry. And we've already seen two. We've said, I'm the bread of life and I'm the light of the world. And if you remember, those two were connected with these great feasts, with the great feast of booths that were going on. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bread, I'm the light of the world. And so um, this morning, we're going to see two more of these I am statements. We're going to see Jesus refer to himself as the door and as the good shepherd. And both of these refer to Jesus' relationship with his people and using a common illustration of a shepherd and sheep. And so the big question that we're going to ask this morning is, what do we learn about the relationship between Jesus and his people as a shepherd and a sheep? What do we learn about this relationship? We're going to look at two main things this morning if you're a note-taking type of person. We're going to see the shepherd's relationship to the sheep and then the shepherd's heart for his sheep. So his relationship to his sheep and his heart for his sheep. Those are the two main points we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at that first point, the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. That's basically verses 1 through 10 or the first half of our text this morning. Now remember the context for what most scholars call the Good Shepherd Discourse is important. This is a continuation of that confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. These were teachers of the Mosaic Law and priests. These were the religious rulers of the day. We've seen Jesus in basic constant conflict with them from the word go. And this is just a a continuation of that confrontation that he had. The amazing thing about the Pharisees is they were regarded as shepherds of God's flock. But time and time again, Jesus calls them out for neglecting the sheep for the sake of making themselves look holy. In verses 1 and 2, Jesus begins his discourse by drawing a contrast between a true shepherd and a thief. And he mentions something called a sheepfold. And you may not know what that is. In cities, back in Jesus' day in the ancient Near East, this this was like a large communal corral where multiple shepherds would bring their small flocks to at the end of the day to keep their sheep safe overnight. And the shepherds would then pool their money and hire an overnight guard, someone called a gatekeeper, to not only watch the flocks, but also to make sure that no animals attacked and no one tried to break in and steal the sheep. 
Only the true shepherds were allowed past the gatekeeper and into the sheepfold. So you can imagine kind of like a big stone pen with high walls. And, and multiple shepherds would bring their little flocks in. You know, these weren't big farming operations. This was, you know, the ancient Near East. You might have a flock of 20, 30 sheep. And they would come and they would put them all in this communal kind of sheepfold for the night. And the gatekeeper would keep watch over the, over the sheep over the evening. And that's the picture that's going on right here. And look in verse 3. It says, the gatekeeper lets the true shepherd in, and then that shepherd does something amazing. He calls out to his sheep, similar to that video that I mentioned in YouTube, where those sheep are up in the fog, and the shepherd comes down, and he begins to call out to his sheep, and they recognize his voice, and they come. And what we see here is the true nature of the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. It is one of familiarity and closeness. He calls them, as you see, by name and leads them out. It's an amazing picture when you think about it. And verse 4 gives us even more information about this relationship. Look at verse 4. It says, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Did you pick up on the fact where he says, when he has brought out all his own? Remember the kind of communal nature of the sheepfold, that you had a shepherd who had a very definite number of sheep. And it, it means that the flock has a definite number. And it says, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Notice what he's not doing. He's not beating them with a stick. He's not clubbing them, right? What he's doing is he's calling out to his sheep and he's using the power of his voice. And then what he does is goes before them and leads them and they follow him. And he, as you can imagine, he continues to call out to them and, and, and speak to them. Now, why do they follow him? Why do the sheep follow him out? Because they know his voice. It's, a, again, a relationship of familiarity. And I know many of you in this room, and me in particular as well, before college, struggle with the biblical doctrines of election and definite atonement. And I get it. I used to struggle with them too. Until I saw them as the absolute picture of divine grace and mercy. It was like a shepherd calling his sheep out of the fog. And what you see here is you have election on full display here. As God is calling out, the shepherd is calling out to his sheep. And I want you to think about what's being pictured here. You, has a, you have a sheepfold full of sheep. The true shepherd stands at the gate and calls out, and only his sheep respond because they already know the sound of his voice. It's already built in. It's an incredible scene of sovereign, effectual calling. Now again, we're Presbyterians, and so we write everything down. And so we're actually going to get to this question in a few weeks that ask in the Shorter Catechism, what is effectual calling? What is what we're seeing here? How do we define it? This is what Catechism question 28 says. What is effectual calling? It says, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. It's a good definition. A long one, but a good one. Again, I'm thankful that Presbyterians write things down. I had never heard of a Westminster Confession until I got to college and I opened it up for the first time. I was like, where has this been my whole life? This is super helpful. It at least gives me something to like get angry with and wrestle with. And I appreciate it being, able to, being written down. Another, another place where we see this idea of the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, there's another great hymn called, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. 
And it has this stanza, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room? The hymn writer is asking, Why me, O Lord? Why would I ever have been made to hear your voice? Why would you ever be that gracious to me? And I want you to think about the calls of Matthew, Peter, Andrew, James, John. What did Jesus say? He simply said, follow me. And they immediately recognized his voice and followed him. There's something different. His voice spoke to their heart. Think about the call of Saul. Jesus called him by name. Think about Moses, called by name. Think about David, by name. Hey, where's, the, where's David? He wasn't even invited to the anointing party. Go get him. Think about Abraham, Jonah, the prophets. The list goes on and on. I hope you see the biblical pattern. God already knows his sheep, and at the appointed time, according to his sovereign plan, he calls them and they respond. His call is effectual on them. He calls out to his sheep and they respond. Remember John chapter 6, verse 37. We looked at this several weeks ago. It says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. The idea of a shepherd calling out to his sheep, and they already know his voice. It's built into them. There is another great little video. I love like soldiers coming home videos. You ever seen those where like mom or dad comes home and there's usually this elaborate kind of plot, you know, to try to reintroduce mom or dad after they've been away on leave in the army or Marines or wherever it is. Two years ago, a video was posted of a little boy sparring with a blindfold on in a taekwondo gym. You may have seen this. He had a black blindfold on, and he's just sparring, and his teacher is there kind of calling out to him, and, and he's just throwing punches. And the boy thought that he was sparring with his coach, but what he didn't know is they had, he had swapped places with his dad, who was on leave with the Army. And as the boy sparred, he, was, you know, he kept throwing punches, and the dad was wearing the big you know, punching uh, gloves, and as the boy sparred, his dad called him by his nickname a couple of times. You see, the first time he hears it, he kind of pauses, but then just kind of keeps punching. And he says it again. His dad calls out to him by his nickname, and the boy immediately recognized his voice. And it's such a sweet little video, because what this little boy does is he says, Daddy? And he takes his gear off, and there he is. There's his father. But it's just this instinctual reaction to the voice of his father where he says, Daddy, is that you? Because he's being called to by a nickname that only his dad would call. And he responds to it. It's, a, it's such a sweet video. I dare you to watch it and not tear up a little bit. Y'all, as we think about what's going on here in this passage, this is how the gospel works. This is how the gospel works. That's why it's good news. Jesus already knows his sheep. And he calls them to himself out of the larger group because he set his love upon them before the foundation of the world. And this is the gospel of grace. And the question that we're asking is, why me? Why, O oh Lord, would you ever be this gracious? Why would you ever make me to hear your voice? I didn't deserve it. I wasn't looking for it. Actually, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But yet you called me, and that call was effectual unto salvation. And so you think about how this gospel works, this gospel of grace. Think about as Jesus, the good shepherd, is calling out to his sheep. What is he calling his sheep out of? He calls them out of the dense fog of their sin and brokenness and shame and guilt and rebellion and pride, moralism, racism, sexism, atheism, agnosticism, perfectionism, indifference. The voice of the shepherd cuts through the fog and he calls his sheep to his own. 
Jesus' voice cuts through that fog, and while his people are dead in their sin, they hear the familiar voice that they never even knew existed in that moment, and they respond by faith. Here's what Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now you think, okay, fine. Whatever, Dave. That was a great theological treatise on effectual calling and the sovereign work of a shepherd in the hearts of people. Why should I care? Great question. Glad you asked. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. It says, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. I mean, think again about all the voices competing for the hearts of people. All the voices of quote-unquote strangers calling out. False religions, cults, secular humanists, humanists, legalism. Think about all of the voices of these false strangers calling out to people that you know, that you may have followed for a time. You may call to mind a friend, maybe a family member, someone that you know and you love who is following the voice of a stranger and that voice has led them away into a dense fog. You think of a loved one or someone that you know. They're like that little boy blindfolded and trying to punch their own way out. And you know that they're exhausted and you're worried about them. Some of you are worried that these loved ones have been led away into the fog by a false shepherd. Some of you, some of you here this morning are still lost in the fog. Blinded by your own pursuit of money or comfort or religious performance or grades or being accepted into the right crowd. And you're just wearing yourself out trying to punch your way out of it. And you're exhausted because you still think it's all up to you. And you're just lost in the fog. Verse 8, Jesus calls these false voices, these false shepherds, thieves and robbers because they're false messiahs. And the good news of the gospel, hear me now when we think, why in the world should I care? The good news of the gospel is that those quote-unquote strange voices can never replace the voice of the true shepherd when he calls into the dense fog. His sheep will hear him. If you are here and you are worried about a sheep that you know that has wandered off, it may be someone in your own family, keep praying. Keep sharing the words of Christ. Keep trusting the Good Shepherd. Why? Because His voice is more powerful than any of the fake ones. It will cut through the fog according to God's sovereign will and plan. And our job is to keep praying and asking that voice to cut through that fog and distraction. Keep praying. Keep trusting Christ. Now you think, why does this matter? Why does it matter that the sovereign voice of Jesus goes out, the Good Shepherd, and that it is effectual to accomplish what it goes out to do? Think about the hope that this is for the missionary in a closed country. Think about what hope this is for a praying mom or dad. Think about what hope this is to a pastor like me in a small town where nobody sees you, nobody knows you're there. Think about a concerned friend. 
Think about how this lands. I know how this landed when I was called to go plant a campus ministry in a state I had never been to, in a town I didn't even know existed, on a campus that I had no idea what I was doing. But one of the things I had to do is I had to trust that God had called me there, and He would not have called me there if His sheep were not there. And my job was to go be faithful. And what hope that gave, that it wasn't up to me to try to go and do this. My job was to go be faithful. Think about what hope that brings to a missionary. Think about what hope that brings to you as you might be praying for a lost loved one. Think about what hope that brings, that we serve a sovereign God who continues to call His sheep back home because He already knows them and He is powerful enough to change their hearts. Think about what hope that brings. Here's what J.C. Ryle said. He's a lot smarter than me. He said, like a good shepherd, Christ knows all His believing people. Their names their families, their dwelling places, their circumstances, their private history, their experience, their trials. With all these things, Jesus is perfectly acquainted. There is not a thing about the least and lowest of them with which he is not familiar. The children of this world may not know Christians and may count their lives folly, but the Good Shepherd knows them thoroughly and wonderful to say he knows them and does not despise them. Look at verse 6. Look at how the Pharisees respond. They miss every bit of it because they're so blind and they saw themselves as the gatekeepers of the fold and they saw Jesus as a blasphemer and a thief. And so in verse 7, Jesus switches metaphors up on them and he refers to himself as the door. And this only adds depth to our understanding of the relationship between Christ and his sheep. This is a picture of protection and safety. That to get to the sheep, they need to get past the door And that door is strong and mighty, and that door never sleeps, and that door is never off duty. But it's also a picture of exclusivity. There's only one door. Look at verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Think about Peter, the one whom Jesus called. He would later say to an assembled group of Pharisees in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, this is what Peter would say. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. Now, I faced this when I was on campus, and you may have faced this as well. Some would argue, that is so narrow-minded. That's so narrow-minded. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way? Well, number one, Jesus said that he's the only way. And so we're just echoing what our good shepherd said. But you can hear the assaults coming. That's so narrow-minded. But verse 10 gives us the greatest contrast between every other false door and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at the contrast in verse 10. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When the devil himself tries to beat down the door to get in and kill the sheep of Christ, that same Christ, the one true gatekeeper, stares him down and said, you'll get to them over my dead body. And for a time, it appeared like that was going to be the case. Only it wasn't. That's our second point, the shepherd's heart for his sheep. So we see the shepherd's relationship to his sheep. And now, short, shorter point, 
we see the shepherd's heart for his sheep in verse 11. 11, Verse 11 is a well-known verse, and rightly so. Look at verse 11. It says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We hear the English word good, and we think, in our definition, a a way to define that is that which is morally right. Okay, now, all of this is true about Christ, but the Greek word kalos tells us even more. It is better translated beautiful or genuine. I am the genuine shepherd. I am the beautiful shepherd. Not just the morally right one. I'm the the genuine one. Here's what Kent Hughes said. Such is the shepherd we proclaim. He is altogether lovely. This beautiful Jesus, our shepherd. Why is he so beautiful? Because of the way he relates to us, calls us by name, and knows us. And because we know him and he sees to our every need. Why is he so beautiful? Because he's the door. And when we go in, we find protection and salvation. And when we go out, we find pasture and abundant life. Why is he so beautiful? Because of his heart. Because he laid down his life for the sheep. And he offers us a place with him. Now, how do we know? Because remember, we're seeing the contrast between Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true, genuine one. And then there are these others that are out there. And they're only seeking to kill and destroy. How do we know that Jesus is the genuine and true and beautiful shepherd? How do we know that? He lays down his own life willingly for the sheep because he cares for them. Look at verses 12 through 15. What is the mark of the true and genuine shepherd as compared with a hireling? Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What you see in verse 16 as they responded is the Pharisees were only concerned with their own physical lineage. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. They said, we are the descendants of Abraham and that is the thing that makes us right. And they're still clinging to this. But Jesus tells them that his flock is made up of people beyond the borders of Israel. Made up of all nations and tribes and tongues. Notice the certainty in Christ's words in verse 16. Look at what he says. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. I mean, what a comforting thought when we think about the call that Jesus gives us to go and share the gospel. That we actually move from just talking about going to share the gospel to like actually doing it, which is the hardest thing to do. It's easy to talk about going and sharing your faith. It's real hard to actually go and do it. But think about the hope that this brings in the midst of your attempts to go reach out and share the gospel with your neighbors or your family or whoever it is. The thing is, we have a sovereign God who he is going to work in the hearts of people according to his plan, and our job is just to go be faithful. That it's, okay, so you go and you're like, well, what if I stumble? Or what if I don't quote the verse directly? Or I'm not theologically trained. What in the world is that all about? What it asks you to do is calm down and trust a sovereign God and go do it. God can use you. Do you not know how many people, we think about in the lives of camps that I worked in, these Christian camps, do you know how many adults have been converted by the simple gospel presentation of their little ones? It is amazing how God can use even the least of these. 
And you think, well, I'm so messed up and broken and I'm such a worm. We do realize that God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, right? He can use you. So take heart. Go trust the words of the Good Shepherd. Go use His words and trust that God is going to use it. But please go out and share. But when you think about what's going on this morning, why should we care? That when the going gets tough, our Good Shepherd will never leave us. He will always defend and protect us because He loves us and He always has. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our brokenness, Jesus willingly laid down his life. This was a voluntary act. Have you ever thought about that? We are marching towards the cross in John's gospel. He knows the cross is coming. And he willingly lays down his life for his sheep that are running the other way. It's amazing when you think about it. It's what makes the gospel just so counterintuitive. Jesus is the only king in human history who willingly died for his enemies. It's amazing. When you think about the call of the gospel. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus was not a victim. He was a willing participant. And we are unworthy recipients of the benefits of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. That's the real question you want to ask. Is why me? Why, O oh Lord? Why would you ever be so gracious? Why would I ever be made to hear your voice? Verse 18. Remember the Pharisees were actively trying to kill Jesus. Remember? Chapter 5, they're trying to kill him. Still going on. And he looks at them and once again reminded them of his power and divinity. Remember, he's speaking to people who want to kill him. Look at what he says in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He looks at them and he reminds them of his power and divinity. They can't take what he freely gives away. They're trying to kill him. He's like, you can't take it. I willingly lay it down. Not even Satan could keep Jesus from rising again according to the sovereign plan of the Father. And that is good news for you and me because the resurrection proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the good shepherd. It was the sign of, yes, he's the one. He really was the Son of God. All that he said about himself was absolutely true. And now you can cling to that tightly when life gets hard. Again, Ryle said, Like a good shepherd, Christ lays down his life for the sheep. He did it once for all, and, then he cruci- and when he was crucified for them, when he saw that nothing could deliver them from hell and the devil but his blood, he willingly made his soul an offering for their sins. The merit of that death he is now presenting before the Father's throne. The sheep are saved forevermore because the good shepherd died for them. Again, here's what Ryle said. We're almost done. He said, His death was not the death of a martyr who sinks at last overwhelmed by enemies, but the death of a triumphant conqueror who knows that even in dying he wins for himself and his people a kingdom and a crown of glory. Please hear this part. Let us lean back our souls on these mighty truths and be thankful. A willing Savior, a loving Savior, a Savior who came specially into this world to bring life to man is just the Savior that we need. If we hear His voice, repent and believe, He is our own. He says, lean back into Him like an old easy chair. Lean back into those promises. If you consider yourself to be part of Christ's flock this morning, leave with a list of things that you don't have to doubt from your shepherd. 
You want just a small list of those things that you can lean back into? You do not have to doubt His love, His mercy, His grace, His power, His work of redemption, His desire to call every one of His sheep to Himself in due time, His watchful care during difficult days, His resurrection, and His promise to return again in glory. What of those things do you get to doubt? Which of those things is He going to remove from you? None of them. You can lean into them regardless of the circumstances. You can say, thank you Jesus for your good care and your promise. And if He has been faithful to His word all the way up until this point, why will He not continue to be faithful until the very end? Church, I'm pleading with you to lean into Christ. To trust His promises. To hear His voice. To be reminded of that over and over again. If you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, it is our prayer that you would hear the voice of Jesus cut through the fog and that you would repent and believe for the first time. That you would see yourself as a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. That you cannot do it on your own. That is our prayer for you. It is our prayer that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart and cut through the fog so that you will do one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do, which is to admit you're bad. But yet, on the heels of that admission is a reminder that you have a great Savior. And His name is Jesus, and He is the only one. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And you think, you can't be saved by your money. I don't care how much money you have in your 401k. You can't take it with you to heaven. I don't care what your family name is. It's not going to save you. Think about all the false saviors that you're looking to and going, maybe this will be the thing that will finally set my heart at ease. And you and I both know that it never will. Because you need a Savior. Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourselves and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You're never going to find that true heart rest until it goes back to the one who made you, Jesus Christ. And I, as a minister of the gospel, am calling you to seek the Lord while he may be found. And our prayer is that you would hear his voice. I'll close with these words by Kent Hughes. He said, Jesus says, I'm the door. He says, in another place, I'm the way. And he is. There is no other way to God but through the door, Jesus Christ. If you have never received this relationship, this provision, this heart, submit yourself to the shepherd as Lord and bishop of your soul today. And if you are already one of his sheep, God wants you to enjoy the benefits of being in his flock. He is a beautiful shepherd. Worship him in your heart day by day. That's the call. Do you hear the voice of your good shepherd cutting through the fog? And do you remember and rest upon him and him alone? Because he's always good. And he's always faithful. Even until the very end. Even when life is really hard. He's still there. And that is a great comfort for us as we think about what God is doing in the world. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your sovereign voice, your sovereign will. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and how you stand at the door and you call. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will help us to remember that you called us out of our darkness and sin and rebellion. You called us to yourself by your glorious grace. And Father, help us to ask the proper question, which is, why, O oh Lord, why would you ever be this kind to me? Why would you ever be this gracious? And then, Lord, help us to go and use our words as we seek to share the best news that humanity could hear, which is the fact that there is a good shepherd, and he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is always looking out for and watching out for his flock. 
And once we are in that flock, we are safe and secure forever because we are kept there by the loving hand and sovereign hand of our Good Shepherd. So Lord, we pray for those that we can think of that may have wandered off. They're following the voice of a false shepherd and a hireling. And we pray, O Lord, that even now your voice would cut through the fog and they would hear your voice and respond in faith. And Father, I pray for those even in this own room that are trying to look to another false savior. And I pray, O Lord, that they would really see that false savior for what it is, which is a hireling that cares nothing for the sheep, cares nothing for them. And I pray, O Lord, that they would see your constant love and care and hear your voice by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, take these words and apply them to our hearts for your sake and for your glory. We ask and pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.